We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Well, good evening. Welcome to Overnight America. I am not Ryan Recker. He's getting a well-deserved break to uh, go and do some last-minute Christmas shopping. No, I'm sure he's already got them done all wrapped in under the tree for Santa. In addition to Santa. I'm Randy Tobler. You might uh, listen to me on sister station KFTK 97.1 FM Talk on Saturday mornings. And I'll be pinch-hitting for Mr. Recker tonight and tomorrow. It's great to be with you. As I returned to KMOX after I started my um, radio career back in 1998 doing the SSM Health and Wellness Show, believe it or not, on Sunday afternoons. And Megan Lynch was a young and aspiring mentor of mine as she was uh, entering her career at that time. Great to hear her on the air all the time. It really is great to be with you. And um, it's funny because I heard uh, I heard Ryan Record last night host the special on um Jim White, and I, I have to tell you, this is, uh, to be on the Mighty Mox, the 50,000 clear channel watts of uh, KMOX, in the evening, uh, you know, living my alter ego of Ryan Recker, the formidable shoes of Ryan, and then Jim White, who is, uh, my mom and dad are still mad at at, uh, at Jim White, because that's where I teethed on talk radio and could not get unglued. Like today's children are glued to their cell phones in bed and can't, you know, study and can't get to sleep and then are asleep like zombies the next day. I was that way as a kid. First it was Cardinals radio. And then of course, um, Jim white all night and John McCormick after that man walks and talks at midnight. So, uh, and later on art bell and uh, Jim Bohan, all the great, great night shows. So I'm going to be channeling those guys. Tonight. I'll have to get my Perump Nevada voice in to try to channel a little bit of art bell passed a few years ago, but uh, what a great radio voice. And of course there was no one more legendary than Jim White. And now Ryan Recker is, uh, is I think just um, reproducing that in a modern genre in a most entertaining way. We hope to entertain and inform you tonight and really look forward to talking with you as well. Cause I love to hear what is on your mind because sometimes I think I know what might be on your mind, but I'm not exactly sure about that. The numbers are 314-436-7900 and 1-800-925-1120. For those of you who uh, who don't know much about me, I uh, am an OBGYN uh, in practice now up in northeast Missouri, also running a safety net hospital up there, Scotland County Hospital. We uh, we moved out of the St. Louis area, my wife and I, uh, with our, well, two children that were still in uh, 
in, in K through 12 at that time. And uh, my son had graduated, but uh, we were Lim- Lindbergh High Schoolites. I have to tell you about myself. I have to tell you where I went to school, if you don't know me, right? If you're from St. Louis and you don't talk about where you went to school, well, you're just not from St. Louis. So we were high school sweethearts, uh, practiced in and around, uh, all up and down Highway 40, uh, on staff at Barnes Jewish, Missouri Baptist, St. Mary's, St. Joe's in Kirkswood, now moved out to St. Clair, St. Luke's in Chesterfield. And then about, um, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, moved up just on a medical mission of sorts up to a safety net hospital up in far northeast Missouri. And um, and a few years later became uh, the CEO as well. So doing double duty there. There's lots to talk about, of course, with the COVID virus. I know some of you may want to tap into what little medical knowledge I have. At least that's what people that disagree with me say. But I'll try to be uh, as forthright and honest and, and, and give you the straight dope as I know it about COVID, certainly. And uh, we'll be talking about that off and on through the evening. But there's other things going on, too. As was reported top of the hour, as Nathan Piercy, producer extraordinaire tonight, uh, helping us get through this and managing me. I need lots of management, Nathan. And uh, he's already talked to my wife in the background. I think she called him and said, my God, does this guy need lots of management? Keep the rails tight. Um, but he played the, the the news at the top of the hour. And in fact, the House and the, the Senate will... Uh, I have passed that. So it's been passed. I guess they're voting right now and it will be passed. And um, bottom line is that um, the president will sign it. There will be controversy, either whether it was too little, too much, not enough calibration in who gets it. Is it too little, too late? Both sides yawning and uh, hee-hawing at the other side saying, what in the world's wrong with you guys? How come you couldn't get your act together? And I think both knew that they were hurting Americans while they waited. And um, particularly, I think the Democrats really played a little politics with that. That's, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll toss that up a little bit. And we do want to touch that uh, several times this evening. As well, we're going to have a couple of interesting guests later on, you know, with um, Sam Page announcing today that he'll be lifting some of the restrictions um, in the new year on restaurants. It's great to hear. It's been carnage in the restaurant and hospitality industry in general with the lockdowns. But uh, we'll be talking to Chef Andrew Gruel um, in the next hour. Uh, later this hour, a regular on Overnight America, and that is uh, Richard Rubino, will be talking with us about a lot of the political trivia that really harkens back to years past. And guess what? History repeats itself and has a lot to do with what's going on today. I want to talk to him about things like the role of the vice president and stronger or weaker and what is his prediction based on uh, what he's seen so far that uh, Kamala Harris might exert in the administration. Uh, and, and like I said, we'll, we'll be talking to, um, to him for probably, there's a lot to talk about because he is absolutely a guy that, I mean, you talk about, well, his website is polita-geek.com and that about says it. Revenge of the political nerds, uh, you know, version four, five, how many of those were there? Uh, but it's fascinating to hear him talk. So we'll be talking to him after the first break. And then uh, later on, Chef Andrew Gruel, celebrity chef, who's been all over it in um, advocating for the restaurant industry and the workers who, in a low-margin industry to begin with, have just suffered so mightily under this, under the lockdowns. In some blue states, if obviously more than others, but we've seen it here in our area and in the St. Louis area. It's just been terrible. St. Charles County as well. And uh, hopefully, as things are beginning to moderate, at least we've seen a little bit of a lifting uh, of the uh, of the tremendous burden of COVID in Missouri and in the area here. Not that it's we're we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, and there may be another 
rearing of the ugly COVID head after December, after the Christmas holiday here coming up and to follow the New Year's Eve uh, festivities. But at least uh, there's some hope on the horizon. The COVID, uh, you know, gives us uh, the COVID vaccine gives us a lot of hope. And there is a secret weapon that, you know, you may have heard about it, but I can tell you about our experience about it. And we'll talk about that later on that I think is a great bridge for those who wait for the vaccine and who may get infected in in the meantime. And of course, all evening, your phone calls as well. Very, very important to me. I, uh, I live for calls, so that would be fabulous. Any thoughts that you have as we move along through the evening? We'll step aside and take a break now and then come back and we'll talk to Rich Rabino from politigeek.com and uh, hear what he has to say about uh, history and how it informs us about the goings-on up in D.C. There is no crazier place. You can't write it. You could not make up what's going on in there, but we'll try to make some sense of it with Rich after we come back. Again, it's Tobler in for... Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Thanks for being with me. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker. Joining us now, a regular on the program on the Quiver River Electric guest line, none other than Rich Rabino, at Rich Rabino, P-O-L, uh, for politics, I assume, and um, also at uh, polita-geek.com. How you doing, Rich? Thanks for being with us in this busy season. I'm doing well, yeah. Quite, quite, quite busy. It is, and um, it's funny. It seems like just a few years ago, remember all the hoopla around Obamacare and everything, the, the excitement all around Christmas Eve? Why is it that these lawmakers love to um, delay, 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 and then they want us to get out the violins? Like I heard, uh, I think it was Marsha Blackburn today. We've got some sound on that. Maybe maybe Nathan can, can play that a little bit later. Um, it's like, oh, I wanted to be home with my family. I, They've been talking about this since August. Is this, I mean, is this just in the genes of the Congress, Rich, this delay, 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 or what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I mean, certainly when you have an environment, I mean, it used to be a lot different. You used to have conservative Democrats and conservative Republicans working against liberal Republicans and liberal Democrats. Now you have an environment where essentially you have center-left Democrats and liberal Democrats, and then you have center-right Republicans and conservative Republicans, and you have very few in the center that are actually the ones who are probably the most important, probably the most vital lawmakers are folks like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Susan Collins in Maine, who are trying to get get a deal and try to be a bridge between their caucus and the moderate members of the other caucus. But you're right. No, it is very hard, obviously. I mean, you do have a scenario where it's checks and balances, but I guess the alternative is when you have one party in complete control and for, you've seen this a few times, for example, um, Lyndon Johnson, 64 and 65, when they got just about everything through because there was very little opposition. Um, the, actually, the only opposition Johnson really had was from conservative Democrats. But it happens in states, too, many times. Many times it takes a long time, for example, to get a budget passed because there's just so many disparate interests. And obviously, special interests always come into uh, play as well. You know, sometimes I feel like the American citizen and, and sometimes certain groups or certain populations that would benefit more or less from particular legislation. But often it's big things like spending bills and omnibus that and health care this. And in this case, it's the covid. I don't know whether it's a stimulus or relief. It's I think it's a little bit of both. It's the stimulief, maybe we'll call it. <laughs> um, but it 
sometimes I feel like the American citizen is like a rag doll being fought over by a couple of bullies on the playground. And and it's really condescending in a way. I mean, it just the way I, the way I view it. I mean, each for their own partisan interest, and and each side, of course, saying, well, obviously that we're principled and we're just sticking by our principles. In this case, it's funny, isn't it, that the Democrats actually settled for what, maybe two thirds of, or even even less than what they really, 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 really wanted, um, and they they could have had that back in September, October. So that seemed to be just a political play, no. Yeah, well, it reminds me a little bit of um, Barack Obama back in the 2010 after his party had lost the House and the Senate. And then during that lame duck session, he actually agreed um, as part of a deal to extend some of the Bush tax cuts, which he had promised not to do during the 2008 presidential campaign. But that was, of course, a very productive uh, lame duck session. You know, lame duck sessions are interesting because obviously you do have some politicians who would be the lost reelection who are retiring who don't necessarily have to kind of play the game in many respects. Folks like Kamar Alexander from Tennessee, for example, or Pat Roberts from um, Kansas. People who Pat Roberts is an interesting person because he's someone that very few people have actually heard of because he never really had presidential ambitions. So we could focus on issues like agriculture, which benefit folks certainly in certainly in the state of Kansas, but he doesn't necessarily have that national uh, that national following. But obviously, you know, the other thing is there are so many there are so many potential presidential candidates. And in 2024, it can be both the Democratic and the Republican side. You know, I think there are probably two types of senators. There are those who who come to, they want to be appropriators, they want to be spoilsmen, they want to benefit their states. Then there are those who want to get their cards punched. And the ones who want to get their cards punched want to get to the Senate, and then they want to essentially see what... Um, what their base is, what kind of what their base is thinking, and they want to kind of be able to say that, you know, I did this, I did that. So they're kind of positioning themselves. And those are sometimes the most perilous members because their interest is more self-interest, whereas other people like, you know, for example, like someone like Joe Manchin and Susan Collins, the only interest they probably have is more or less at home. So they have to show that they have to show themselves to be somebody who can actually get something done where the other candidates have to show themselves to be somebody who can position themselves either on the right or on the left and try to make overtures to that um, constituency for a presidential run as early as 2024. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's funny. Uh, and we're talking to Rich Rubino, if you're just joining us, uh, author of uh, the latest book, American Politics on the Rocks, The Bizarre Side of American Politics. Now, to put bizarre and American politics in the same <laughs> subtitle, that's redundant, Rich, but I need to talk to you about this title of your next book. You're working on another book, I understand. I am, yeah. I was going to say it's like an oxymoron saying the Senate Intelligence Committee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of, of intelligence um, committees, yeah, uh, Stallwell's got his, uh, you know what, in a ringer there, doesn't he? Politi- yes, political, yes, oh, absolutely, yeah, political intelligence, I guess that would be an oxymoron, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do have another book that's hopefully coming out in probably for three or four months, we're working on it for a couple of years now, and it's basically every. It's basically the kind of the compendium of political trivia. It's going to be a lot of questions, anything from Senate campaigns, presidential campaigns, presidents. So um, I'm working on that, and then hopefully I'll go on a tour in a couple of months. Although I'm sure a lot of it will be via uh, radio and certainly via Zoom. So I have to. I just have to ask you this, uh, Rich Rubino. It, when the local, uh, you know, charity uh, du jour, you know, has their trivia contest, do people bribe you to be sitting at their table? I'm just. I'm just <laughs> uh, no, that's an interesting question. No, but there have been a few instances where people have wanted to have done raffles or that type of thing, and they've asked me um, for, and they've asked me for a book that I could serve, that I could donate, that type of thing. Or there have been issues where. 
for example, my alma mater, um, Assumption College, wanted me to um, give kind of a presentation via Zoom for alumni, so I did, and I did it based on uh, the trivia, uh, that type of thing. But, no, I, don't, I haven't really been in a function specifically where um, – where uh, where they've done where they've done trivia, but I think part of the issue is mine is so specific and so narrowly tailored. Usually, trivia is more Jeopardy type, is more generic. Whereas I think that there are very few people. Well, it's a it's a it's a constituency, and you have to play directly to it. But for the average kind of the, the for the average citizen, probably does not know very much about you know the Senate race in Arkansas in 1992. But for the people that do, and there is it, there are a lot of people that do. They absolutely love this stuff, and there's certainly you can go all over Facebook and find people like this who love vice presidential trivia, love presidential trivia, love learning new things. Um, for example, I just put up the other day that there was a race in Kentucky back in 1932 and uh, 1938, and Alvin. I put up a thing every day about it, and Alvin Barkley's running for re-election, and his opponent is Happy Chandler, who later became the baseball commissioner. And Happy Chandler accused his opponent of poisoning him with water. So as a result, Alvin Barkley got up there, and he would whenever he give his speeches, and he'd put he'd start drinking water, and then all of a sudden he'd say, "Oh no, I can't drink this water," and actually landed up working against them. So there really is a fun side of American politics. You know, it's a very it's a very it's a difficult animal. People that actually want to be involved in politics, people that want to actually run for office, many times are absolutely they're absolutely they can be absolutely fascinating people. Um, not so much today because now they're very buttoned down, but certainly you go back to days of you know politicians like Huey Long and Edwin Edwards, and there really have been some Missouri certainly Harry Truman in the way that you know he was um, you know the way certain the Pendergast machine brought him into brought him into uh, politics and the fact that he only won re-election in his own Democratic primary the, the race before he became vice president by one point then he becomes vice president so there are a lot of really fascinating stories. Hey, I hope you can stay with us another segment because I, I do oh, sure. have some other things to talk with you about. But um, I, it, just to, to the last minute or two we have in this segment before uh, before we move to the bottom of the hour, uh, if if there was a mean spiritedness meter like a barometer, <laughs> how would you gauge the present infighting and the rhetoric between between not only the legislators but their surrogates? Compared to other times, I mean, I don't know. In my life, it seems like it, the, the the robber would be like eleven out of ten. If ten is the worst of mean spiritedness, what say you? I would say publicly, you're correct. Although the stuff always happens behind the scenes. Right now, we're just seeing it in a public avenue. Usually, politicians are very measured. But that being said, if you go back to the early days of the republic, the days of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. At the time, the press made no bodes about trying to be neutral. Jefferson and Adams literally had their own newspapers, and their basic only job was to promote their specific candidate and to try to excoriate their opponents. This stuff has certainly been going on for a long period of time, and certainly hardball as well. Um, you know, you go back in the days of, for example, you know, Chicago, certainly under Mayor Daley. It always happened. The, pro- the issue is usually a politician and a pu- their public face is usually a lot more um, it's usually a lot more measurement. Your temperament's a lot different, but obviously behind the scenes, you know, there's always there's always deal making. And every politician, before they're an ideologue, is usually an entrepreneur, and an entrepreneur is usually for themselves. And usually, unless they're not running for re-election, it's usually to either keep office or to use that office as a springboard to get to a higher office. 
In other words, it's all about them. It's just a <laughs> it's just it's a matter who has who has the the biggest font on their narcissism label on their sweatshirt, right? I mean, that's with the, the with the exception of those who lose re-election because they're not willing to, <laughs> because they're not willing to kind of play the game. Those usually the losers are probably the ones that have the bigger consciences. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said, Rich Rubino with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line, and uh, hang with us through the break. And Rick, uh, Rich, when sure. we talk, I, when we come back, I'd like to talk with you about vice presidents, their power, whether they've yielded and been able to or not, and where you think Kamala Harris may fit in that spectrum. So folks, stay with us on KMOX 1120, the big mighty mocks in St. Louis. I'm uh, Randy Tobler, in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Be right back. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. It is a good bipartisan bill. Uh, it does as different from bills that have been proposed on the Senate side by the Republican leader, it does things that his bill never did. And that is it addresses the food needs of the American people. Welcome back to Overnight America on KMOX. Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker with Rich Rubino at Rich Rubino, P-O-L, Rich Rubino Paul on Twitter, and uh, the proprietor of polita-geek.com, author of several books, including American Politics on the Rock, as we uh, discuss our, on the rocks, uh, as we discuss um, the goings-on in, in D.C., and there's enough there to fill a whole year's worth of conversation. But um, So, Rich, I got, I've got to ask you, you know, we just heard Nancy Pelosi talking about that, and I'm just wondering, I heard earlier today, now, of course, they've passed the bill this evening, but yep. I heard more than one legislator say, well, we don't really know what's in it, 192 pages, and uh, we know sort of the general terms of it, so we passed it. I, I know that that was a big talk about Obamacare, you know, you have to read, you have to pass the bill to know what's in it, I get all Is that typical? I mean, has that always been the case, or is this something in the last uh, quarter century or so? And no, that's always the, been the case, um, although what's different now is since they don't have earmarks anymore, it used to be a time where at the end kind of someone would put in an earmark for their district so they could get so they could get praise back home or something to that effect. And everyone's not, the, the average person isn't going to be able to, or the average congressman is probably not going to be able to read that. They're probably going to say, you know, what's the basis of this? Now, there's a lot of legislation that gets passed that's non-controversial that usually passes unanimously that's very short that theoretically the legislatures could read, but they probably don't read it because it's something that I think they probably just want to get their vote for it or against it, you know, naming post offices or ha- having a coin commemorating somebody, something to that effect. There's actually a lot of what actually passes. And it's interesting because, you know, always, whenever somebody's running for office that's been an incumbent, you invariably hear the opponent coming out and saying, this person has, the, the, the incumbent's been there for 18 years, they've only gotten one piece of legislation passed, which may be true, and the one piece of legislation is probably something technical, something like naming a post, a, po- a post office or something that can benefits a certain constituency. But oftentimes they're working in a legislative process. They're getting amendments. They used to be they could get earmarks. So they're getting in the piece of legislation, and the actual author is sometimes just the chairman of the um, is just the chairman of the committee. But it's true. Oftentimes they don't read it. They get they have summaries and they'll read you know or their aides will re- or their aides will read it. And frankly, probably some of the legislation is probably too boring for them to read. <laughs> yeah, well, too boring until it ends up going to court like it did in Obamacare when yeah, there was a, yeah. you know, a question of, uh, you know, do you believe what's actually written in the text or do you ask the Supreme Court to make something up and legislate? But that's a whole nother show. Um, so let, let's move over to Kamala Harris and yes. what kind of power she's going to yield. I've been telling my audience for a long time that this election was going to be more about 
Joe Biden, once we knew Biden was the uh, the nominee for the Dems, that this was going to be much more about who is going to succeed him when that happens. You notice I didn't say if. Um, and in the interim, who's going to have more power to wield it? I think it was mostly about the, the vice president. Um, do you do you foresee and what kind of precedent do we have for vice presidents being more than just ceremonial go in the stead of the president to some you know ceremonial funeral or something or overseas? Yeah, it's like when Nelson Rockefeller used to explain his job. He said, basically, I go to earthquakes and I go to funerals. <laughs> it used to be a lot different, certainly at the beginning of the republic. They actually did the job of presiding over the Senate. You know, constitutionally, they're considered their presence in the Senate, and they're actually paid not as an executive, but a member of the legislature. And it used to be that the, up until about the 1940s, I think Alvin Barkley was probably the last one to actually do this. He left office in 53. The senators would actually spend their days actually as a senator, as essentially the um, almost referee of the United States Senate. They would say, I recognize the, the, the gentleman from Arkansas, how the person would go up and speak. And they would really just be doing ceremonial. It really was very much ceremonial. Although I will say a lot of the power actually began for the vice president. There's very little actually in the Constitution of what the vice president actually does other than essentially waiting on checking the president's um checking the president's house pulse and of course presiding over the senate although they can give that position to the president pro tem who in return gives a position to a member of the party so basically what you have in the senate is the referee or the presiding officer is usually just a rotating is a rotating um is a rotating member from the majority party, usually more junior members, but most of them don't want to do that. And when they are doing it, they're usually autographing pictures or reading books or, you know, signing constituent mail or something like that, because there's really not much to do. It's 99% of the time the senators will just speak and another senator will speak. But I think actually Garrett Hobart, who actually came out of, very interesting, came out of the New Jersey legislature, and he was William McKinley's vice president. He was actually called the assistant president because he really began the process of kind of being the person, in the, the point man of the president in the United States House of Representatives, in the United States Senate, that would try to get the president's legislative agenda passed. And he was able to do that. He had a very good relationship with William McKinley, and he actually died in 1899. And so in, at the time, there was no constitutional provision to replace a vice president. So there was no vice president in 1919, in 1900. Then in 1900, the position was considered so weak that Theodore Roosevelt was governor of New York, and Thomas Platt, the, basically the uh, leader of the New York Republican Party, they have time you had the more moderate, progressive wing of the Republican Party, the conservative bloodline. The conservatives wanted to figure Roosevelt out as governor of New York. So they, presided, they persuaded the Republican Party to make, him, to make him William McKinley's vice president, hoping he would essentially have very little power. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, when he was vice president, he talked about how he'd rather be a professor or something to that effect. Then McKinley dies the first term in office. He's assassinated in Buffalo. And then Platt says, oh, boy, now that cowboy's president. So he actually became president. Go back to 1876, um, Rutherford B. Hayes, he didn't even know who it because at the time the, the president did not choose their running mate. The parties did. He actually literally did not know who his vice presidential running was going to be or who he was. It was a guy named William Wheeler a congressman from New York, basically the, the point of getting, him, of getting him on the ticket was they wanted to win Ohio, they wanted to win New York, the key swing states of the time. So they told them who Rutherford B. Hayes, they, they sent him a telegram, said your writing mate is, is William Wheeler. He said, I, he said, well, who is Wheeler? You know, he, really, he literally didn't know. Um, actually, I think in the modern vice presidency, I think Walter Mondale, 77 to 1981, was probably the one who really became almost omnipotent in that administration, in the Jimmy Carter administration. He had an office in the mm -hmm. West Wing, and then George H.W. Bush, Al Gore, Dick Cheney, Joe Biden. It just increased, increased, increased in terms of power. So the question is, you know, what power will Senator Harris essentially wield? Um, 
I think I think that I think that the conventional wisdom is he will, she will run in 2024. Very few people think that Biden is actually going to run in 2024. My guess is he'll position himself to do that and probably say he's not going to do it probably around 2023. But, you know, um, Joe Biden has, 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 done, has done a favor for Senator Harris in 2024, first of all, by, by, by announcing Pete Buttigieg as his nominee as Transportation Secretary. He's essentially taking her out of the running as a potential, as a potential opponent for Senator Harris. And also Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, he tried to get her a position at the Small Business Administration. She didn't. She did. She didn't accept it. Could potentially she be getting another position now? Maybe even the Commerce Department, something to that effect. If that's the case, then you know you're trying to, in a sense, kind of clear the field uh, for Senator Harris in 2024. Which means that the question will be, what will Senator Harris's role? be in the next couple of years if her, if, if, if her role as vice president is simply to try to position herself for 2024, I mean, as opposed to, you know, waiting, the, waiting playing the long game like George H.W. Bush or Al Gore did, trying to be a loyal vice president and then running for president, you know, seven years into their, pres, into their term. I mean, she immediately can say, she, she can immediately, I mean, not, she's not going to position herself as a presidential candidate, but certainly I think you'll see her in 2022 spending an inordinate amount of time campaigning all over the country for, you know, every Democrat running for cemetery commission, the United States senator trying to collect chits and trying to clear that field for 2024. Well, I think she's going to have to really thread the needle if, in fact, she ends up being the, the tiebreaker vote in the Senate, depending on how things go in that Georgia runoff, because yes. she could she could really aggravate and inflame and alienate a lot of uh, center, well, both left and right, if she were to vote uh, on some of the more radical proposals, right? Um, oh, yeah. Which, you know, she'd have to think that through. So that could really be an interesting, uh, interesting gambit on her part, depending on if that were to come to fruition. I mean, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But that would complicate that uh, that potential run. I think she's going to have tremendous amount of sway. I mean, she's going to have tremendous amount of sway in this administration. But um, we'll, we'll have to see how that all all rolls out in the last minute we have um it, more executions in the last in the lame duck sec- session here of of, of donald trump's uh, first and only term um then then i think I, what for decades and decades right this is unprecedented for a long time yep right yep yep absolutely what's going to happen what do you mean pardons? Executions? oh pardons yeah, oh yeah no yeah oh, I thought, oh, yeah well i'm um, talking he- executions he's authorized tons of executions i mean they're right Yep, yep. No, no. I thought I thought you I thought you were admitting somebody. I thought you were I thought you were referring to it as a politician executing the president. That's what I was. No, 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 no. I mean, he's authorized a lot of uh, death row death row sentences to to go. That's that's yes, pretty... yes, which is very rare at the federal level. There are very few people actually on uh, death row at the federal level. You know, certainly it happens once in a while that there will happen someone like Timothy McVeigh, for example. The last time right. I think the death penalty was probably an issue actually in a presidential campaign. If you remember back in 1992, um, Bill Clinton left the campaign trail a few days prior to the New Hampshire primary to preside over the execution of Ricky Ray Rector, who was a um, who was a who was who was a, someone who was in Arkansas who had committed a crime and he had injured himself in the during the process of that crime. And he was a, so he went down and did that, and it became a huge issue. There were a lot of protesters at the time about that. So that was the last time, but that was, of course, a state issue. There's very few usually um, actually at the, federal, at the federal level. And in terms of pardons, you almost always see a president in the last day of office will pardon, will, will go out with there with kind of, kind of a string of pardons. Sometimes they're interestingly, like Bill Clinton with Patty Hearst, Barack Obama with uh, Willie, McCau- Willie McCovey, the baseball player. 
Then there are others that are controversial. Bill Clinton pardoned Susan McDougall, uh, his the Whitewater partner of the last day, and of course it was a Mark Rich pardon, which led to a um, which led to a chorus of um, led to a chorus of criticism on both the left and the right. Folks like Alan Spector were talking about potentially impeaching him. So. Um, even though he left office, but it's going to be very interesting to see who the president pardons, um, certainly in his last days of office. There was one issue, I will say, when the, ten- the governor of Tennessee, before Lamar Alexander started pardoning everybody, this is a Democrat, the Democratic House Speaker, and the Democratic Senate President got together, and, and then the Democratic Vice uh, Lieutenant Governor got together and, and, and looked in the Constitution and saw there was a way that they could actually get the Republican appointed three days earlier so that all these pardons didn't go through. They got it through, and Lamar Alexander became governor about three days before he actually, um, yet before his actual term was supposed to uh, begin in earnest. Rich Rubino, you, my friend, are a tour de force of American politics <laughs> and the history and the trivia thereof. Really, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for spending a, a little while with us here on KMOX and Overnight America. Really appreciate it. All the best to you and yours as the holidays go on. And um, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on things and including it in your oxymoronic book. Senate intelligence. No, what is it? Intelligence? Political oh, intelligence? <laughs> yeah, maybe that would be a good, that would be, that would actually probably be a good title for it. I was going to say the, I said the intelligence, Senate Intelligence Committee, but that's probably not an oxymoron. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> hey, thanks for being with us. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much. Glad, glad to be here. There he is, Rich Rubino at politi-geek.com and uh, at Rich Rubino, P-O-L, on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line here on Overnight America, KMOX. And we come back, your calls. Do you think that this pace of uh, executions, what we anticipate will be a ton of pardons coming down the line, is, uh, is retribution by the Donald? Is it appropriate? I don't know. I'm, uh, I've been sort of weighing that in myself. Give me a call, 314-436-7900, 1-800-925-1120. Randy Tobler in for Ryan Recker. Be back. Dear Santa Claus, my Christmas wish is for peace, harmony, and happiness for all. Thank you, Johnny Rabbit. Happy Holidays from KMOX. Nathan, uh, the producer tonight, may, uh, may, Nathan must know that I'm a musician by trade. I uh, worked my way, for those of you who, uh, who are just getting to know me, I'm glad that uh, I'm getting to know you this evening. On Overnight America with Ryan Recker, I'm Randy Tobler. Ryan's taking a well-deserved break. I mean, the guy, I, no wonder he's got a listenership that spans the nation. It's a fascinating show, and he's, uh, he's doing an unbelievable job of keeping you informed and entertained. hope we can do just a little bit of the same. Thanks for being with us. We'll be here till midnight, of course. Uh, and then uh, some of the shows replayed after that. The uh, I, I played my way through medical school at Wash U uh, uh, back in the, uh, you know, I don't want to age myself, with uh, the Bob Cuban brass. And then later at the Muni and the Fox. And so I don't know what that was, but it was sure really great, Nathan. And I appreciate all the good music. I could listen to holiday music. Call me corny. I could listen to holiday music. I, starting in July. I don't know why. It just, um, I love to hear how various artists cover various tunes. I mean, some are just really awful, in my opinion, but others are great. And it's always interesting. 
We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Carl Middleman, uh, who uh, is my producer, uh, associate producer on Saturday mornings and uh, runs a board for me there, will be in a little bit later. We're going to talk about movies, talking about holiday entertainment. And I do want to talk about uh, about the tunes as well. Uh, favorites, stinkers, clunkers, and others. I'm sure everyone has their favorites and their least favorites. We've been watching a lot of holiday movies. So we'll talk with that with Carl in the 10 o'clock hour. And the nine o'clock hour, we're talking with Chef Andrew Gruel, who has um, really been a, a strident and vocal and aggressive advocate for the restaurant industry, and for that matter, at the entire hospitality industry. Um, he uh, is the owner and founder of a of a twenty seven um, location place called uh, Slapfish Seafood, and uh, out of Southern California. So he's in the belly of the beast out there. And you saw him on Tucker a week or so ago. So I uh, I was able to grab him and get him to come on for just a little bit next hour. We'll talk with him about that. I just, uh, it, it pains me greatly because my wife is a foodie. She's taught at a culinary school. We are both foodies. Uh, I'm reminded of that every time I look in the mirror. And um, she, uh, she has a little uh, a, a charity that helps support culinary education here in the Midwest. And, uh, you know, a small operation relatively, but there are so many upstart charities just trying to help prop up the some 11,000 businesses that have closed, uh, and some of them permanently, it's said. So we're going to try to get uh, get a little lay of the land uh, from Chef Gruel next hour. You know, we're talking with Rich Rubino about politics and about the polarization. And um, I, I'm troubled by the fact that we have the Democrats now asking for uh, – some healing and some unity at a time when gosh for the last four years there was vitriol and hatred we saw the deputy chief of staff last week late last week uh, incoming deputy chief of staff in a a glamour magazine interview i mean refer to gop lawmakers with a word we can't repeat here on the air um other times where, you know, Trump supporters uh, and, and conservatives, GOPers are being called rats. So it's it's still a toxic environment. And, uh, you know, Rich talked about how that's sort of been the nature and it ebbs and flows. And it's generally been behind the scenes when that kind of vitriol happens. And But we saw it erupt the other day in the Senate hearings with, uh, with Ron Johnson and another, I think, Senator Peters going at it and calling one another liar. I mean, it's getting getting brutal. And neither side seems to want to blink. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know whether you're going to blink or not. Joe Biden got his vaccine, and um, he actually said a conciliatory thing. He actually gave, can you pull up uh, clip number three, digital audio file number three, Nathan, and play that real quick? Because Joe Biden actually gave a little credit to Trump for the vaccine. Um, Maybe that's a start toward healing. I don't know. You got that up? He'll work on it. And, uh, but uh, but he basically said that, while he was getting the vaccine, hey, we have to give a little credit to Trump for doing that. And I think that's that's true. It's about time that uh, people start um, being a little charitable and a little gracious and maybe a little were turned into a lot. And people can understand, um, you know, that while we all probably want to get to the same place, ultimately it often is just coming from different uh, different avenues there. But uh, who knows? 314-436-7900-1-800-925-1120. Trump is being Trump, and he's ramping up the the federal uh, execution and death sentences. He's going to probably rain down a raft of pardons. 
Um, I don't know how history is going to judge this last month or two of Donald Trump. He's sort of gone quiet here. He's not going down without a fight when he does tweet, and he has a flurry of them. Um, and, and who knows? You got it ready? Why don't you go ahead and play that? This was Biden actually giving a little crump, uh, tr- credit to Trump. And uh, one of the things is that I think that uh, the administration deserves some credit getting this off the ground with Operation Warp Speed. And I also think that uh, it's worth saying that uh, this is, is great hope. I'm doing this to demonstrate that people should be prepared when it's available to take the vaccine. There's nothing to worry about. I'm looking forward to the second shot. So is Jill. She's had her shot earlier today. She loves shots, I know. But uh, I've had so many. But, uh, yeah. many right and then and then he passed out like the nurse who got the first vaccine the other day. No, he did. He did. I'm just kidding you. That nurse has just taken so much heat. You know, a nurse got a, I think it was up in the Northeast, one of the first ones. She got a vaccine there, you know, a big, big uh, photo op. And she passed out and collapsed. And, of course, the anti-vax crowd is making a big flourish over that. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I haven't heard. I, they say she's gone dark. You can't find her. No, they're trying. The conspiracy theories, there's not enough, there's not enough Reynolds aluminum wrap or whatever generic tinfoil you want to use to make enough hats to try to uh, explain some of the things going on, the conspiracy theories um, underlying the conversation around COVID. We'll be talking about that um, off and on throughout the evening. Tomorrow evening, when I host for Ryan, we'll be talking with Ken Remy, a uh, researcher as well as a clinician who's taken over, taken care of over a thousand of, uh, of the COVID patients. And we'll get the latest on the, the mutant and the variants from UK and, and uh, the vaccines. And uh, we want to mix it up about that. But I, my guess is that she, the, the, the nurse probably just passed out because of uh, the lights and the camera. And it was probably just a nervous reaction. I, I had, I have no evidence that anything else happened. Hey, that'll wrap it up for the first hour here on Overnight America. Tobler in for Ryan Recker, taking a well-deserved rest here around the holidays. Thanks for being with me. We'll be back next hour with lots more of Overnight America on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.